All right. Well, let's uh, let's jump in here with. Uh, I'm going to read you First Corinthians one twenty six to thirty one to open up our time, and then we will all sing um, loud and clear for all to hear. After that, though, we're all muted, which is weird, and it'll be good. So here goes First Corinthians one twenty six. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. See 
1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim of the mountains of Ephraim. And his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than tons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. 
Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservants a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaints and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time, Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. This is God's word. Well, uh, some of you maybe haven't heard John Simon do the the Bible reading before, but you'll notice when he does the Old Testament Bible reading that the pronunciations are just a little more maybe accurate. But when we're in small group with him, he's confessed that he's really just saying them confidently. He's not 100% sure about those pronunciations. So if you ever wanted to know the trick to Old Testament Bible reading, just say it confidently. It's Elkanah. And that's that. Okay, right? Do what John Simon does. He's your leader. Follow after him. Anyway, um, thanks, John, for reading, Mike, for, uh, for leading us in that song. And so we are, uh, we're still looking at discipleship for the year. That's our theme, looking at Old Testament examples. And today we're looking at discipleship uh, in the lives of Samuel uh, by, by Eli, the priest. And uh, Samuel, you may have heard of, I'm, I'm sure you have. He's got a couple books named after him, First and Second Samuel, of course. Uh, he was the last judge of Israel, um, well known for appointing the first king, uh, Israel's King Saul, who would soon be replaced by King David, uh, Israel's greatest king. And so discipling that man, discipling Samuel, uh, is a pretty big deal. And that was what Eli did. Um, Samuel was credited by many with preserving the Hebrew religion after the Philistines came in and and conquered Israel. Uh, Samuel uh, held it together. And so therefore, you know, all who descend from the kind of the Hebrew religion, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, see him as an important figure. And uh, Eli raised him up and raised up quite a leader and an important servant of God. So Eli discipled a really great man, but Eli doesn't get a lot of sermons. And why? Why is that? Well, first Samuel begins indirectly about Eli, but its focus, of course, is Samuel, the birth of Samuel and Israel's kings. But we first meet Eli through his sons, who uh, John Simon calls Hophni and Phinehas. Other people call them Hophni and Phinehas. You decide. 
I, I'm probably pretty sure John's right, but let's, let's call it Hophni and Phinehas. And uh, these were the priests when Elkanah and Hannah, Samuel's parents, would come to worship uh, the Lord at Shiloh. They were the, the priests at the time. Eli is already old. He's a priest still, but he's kind of stepping back from his role. He's transitioned his sons into leadership. And the trouble is that his sons weren't very good guys. Um, as you go on and learn more about them, you'll learn that as priests, they mixed into their ministry uh, adultery with women who served around the temple. Uh, they were sleeping with the secretaries, if you will, and taking, you know, and this one sounds like it's not so bad, but it's actually indicative of a very crooked heart. They were taking the best cuts of meat from the sacrificed animals uh, for themselves. If you think about that, people brought these, uh, these sacrifices to atone for their sins, to praise and thank God for his provision. And these priests were taking the best for themselves of what their fellow people had brought and also of what was supposed to be dedicated to God. So these are our hearts that don't honor God and don't love their neighbor well at all. And that's, that's Eli's sons. Now, the Bible doesn't say Eli was like them or as guilty as they were. It even says that in many ways he called them out on their sin, uh, but he didn't change their minds or hold them to account. He didn't discipline them. He didn't remove them. So he's kind of in the category with his sons of those who spoke up and nothing changed, uh, those who tried and failed. And so Eli is not a hero um, in a way, especially not the way the Bible portrays him. He's kind of a failure at home. And we all know that if you can't get it right at home, that says something about you, right? And some of us are very haunted by that very idea. If you can't get it right at home, what good are you anywhere else? Hmm. So why bother having a sermon about Eli? Well, I'll tell you why. We've got four ideas for you here. We can, we can learn from Eli's failures, sure. That's what a lot of the, the Eli sermons might be about. Don't be like Eli. So that, there's something to that. Number two, we, we can learn from what Eli got right. Uh, number three, we can be encouraged by God's faithfulness in the life of Eli. And number four, we can look to the great high priest. And I would say Eli uh, was, was doing that himself. So first, uh, learning from Eli's failures. Look, he blew it, right? Hophni and Phinehas were a disgrace. Um, we're all shocked by fallen pastors today. But look, this isn't a new thing. Uh, anytime you're given power and position without humility and wisdom, it's a recipe for disaster. And uh, so should, should Eli have done more about it? Should he have, have done a better job? Well, sure. Yes. Uh, later in, in 1 Samuel, God curses Eli for his failure. And Samuel, by the way, who, who he disciples, repeats his problem. He has deviant sons as well. So in, um, in God's curse, we learn that Eli's sons are going to, are going to die and there's going to be a curse upon his family. They're going to die on the same day. And not only does that come true and God follows through on that curse, but it's a far worse day than that because it's the day that the Ark of the Covenant was stolen from Israel by the Philistines. And the Ark was a symbol to them of God's presence being among them. So it wasn't as simple as like, oh, something got stolen. It's not like somebody broke into our church and, you know, took the computer and we go, oh, great. You know, this stinks. How in the world are we going to put the cool slides up on the brick? You know, like, how are we going to do it? It wasn't that at all. It was a sign of, viewed by them as a sign of divine judgment, that the Philistines were executing God's sovereign will against them. If you, because you know, God was so powerful that if the ark 
you know, came into the battlefield, Israel might win, right? If you, if you remember other Old Testament stories. So to them, for the ark to be taken wasn't so much like it got stolen away, oops. It was more like God left on purpose. And the ark was a symbol of God's presence. And the Philistines here would have been just like God's rod of discipline who God used to judge uh, Israel. So Eli, it says, was so brokenhearted over the ark's capture that he fell back out of his seat because he was very old and heavy. So here's an overweight old priest, and he falls back out of his chair, his neck breaks, and he dies. So his two sons died that day. The presence of God left Israel that day, and elder priest Eli died that day. So this is a very bad day. You know, I thought, and it might be a stretch, but I thought to myself, in my life, I see myself repeating the sins of my father, and they're of a very unique uh, flavor. And Eli here is old and overweight. Um, His sons are undisciplined. They're ruled by their appetites for sex and fine food. And Eli trained Samuel, and he doesn't raise great sons either. So we should probably be aware that the ways that we live do affect those who are watching us those in our family, those who are learning by our side, right? Um, They are. And so in your microchurches today, I want you to start off asking this question, what sins have you inherited? Um, Which of your failures haunt you? Um, And are you passing those off to those who watch you live now? Um, You might be thinking, I don't want to share that in my microchurch. And I would say to you that our lack of ability to admit our sins leaves us most susceptible by to being ruled by our sins. And I understand if you, if you haven't really met these people or gotten to know them, um, if you can't do that. And, and if you can't, I would say find someone uh, to share them with, but if you can today share them with your microchurch, this is a community of grace and none of us, none of us come without inherited sin and sin that we're passing along to others. There's none righteous. No, not one. So what we learned from uh, Eli's failures is, you know, they're, they're things that, that he passed down uh, to his family. He passed them down to the people that he discipled, and it's something we should be aware of as well. Uh, it's happening. But Eli, see, we can miss this, that he also did many things right. Uh, Hannah, Samuel's mother, was barren and seeking God. And in their time to be barren was viewed more negatively than it is now. Uh, she was mocked. Uh, Elkanah had two wives and his other wife mocked her. She was her adversary. She was viewed as abandoned by God. Um, and she comes before God in the temple and she's so undone that she's praying in her, she's like mouthing her prayers. And it seems like maybe she was drunk. And Eli begins by rebuking her. So you see, he's not totally unwilling to, to speak up. And he kind of goes, Yo, are you, are you always going to be a drunk, Hannah? And, uh, and she responds to him and, and tells him, no, that's not what's going on. I'm troubled. Um, I, I've, I'm barren. I, I want a child. And when he finds out that she's troubled, he listens to her and he sends her off with encouraging words from God. And uh, it says this, that Hannah went away and ate and she'd been refusing to eat. Uh, her husband could not get her to, to eat. And it said she went away and ate and her face was no longer sad. And she went home, and as John uh, read in, the, in our scripture, she and her husband bore a son, and it was Samuel was born. And this is, a, this is a huge deal, and it had a lot to do with 
this work of Eli and encouraging her and speaking to her and giving her this encouragement from God. And I would say here that, I mean, incredibly, he was able to do so much more than her husband. Her husband had told her how special she was to him and had given her, I mean, think about it. How many, how many of the women listening are like, man, if my husband said, you are my favorite, you are the best, you know, that that would be the ultimate thing. But, but for Hannah, she heard that. She heard that all the time and it wasn't enough. And Eli offered just what she needed. And that was to know that God was listening to her. She needed to hear from God, not just her husband, not just him as a priest for that matter. She needed to hear from God. And I think that's often a theme I see in our lives. Many of us want to solve one another's problems. Many of us want someone else to speak to us and solve our problem. Uh, Husbands want wives to make them happy. happy. Wives want husbands to fulfill them. Friends want fulfillment and affirmation from each other. We want our careers to fulfill us, our leisure, our travel, our children. But at the end of the day, when spouse's affection doesn't satisfy, which it never will, or the work or the trip or the kids take you for granted, which happens a lot because we all fail at home, you'll need to hear from God. And a discipler has learned this over time. One who disciples ceases to try to meet someone's every need, but encourages them to hear from God. I would say a great maxim would be to be involved, but not solve. A discipler learns to be involved in someone's life, but not to feel like they need to solve all their problems. None of us today are priests, um, so we don't mediate God's word to people. We should be very careful when we think we're speaking God's word to someone uh, because we don't have that position that Eli had. But we can absolutely encourage them to go to God, to go to God with his people, with the Holy Spirit's help. The Holy Spirit does work in community and to go to God's word uh, with people and alone. So Eli here, of course, discerns God's call of the young boy, Samuel. And since Hannah, uh, his mother, dedicated him to the Lord, meaning he was given to serve the Lord and was raised within the temple. And John didn't get into reading that, but that's kind of the next step as she bears a son. She lends him or dedicates him to the Lord. And we learn here that Eli, not only did he speak encouraging words, he could discern the will of God. He had a a strong spirit of discernment. Um, There's this difficult moment now. Imagine this. God delivers a message to Samuel, the young boy Hannah had, who he now has to deliver to Eli, and it's this. Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Ooh, those are hard words. Imagine the child Samuel going back to Eli and saying that. But look what Eli does. Does Eli say, that's not fair? Does Eli say God can't be good if he does something like garbage like that? Or I don't want to hear that from God. Who who does God think he is? Listen to Eli when he's reprimanded by God harshly. He says this. He says, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Now that is incredibly deep 
theological reflection that few of us can grasp, let alone utter in a moment of despair. So not only could Eli hear God, he could understand God. He could ascribe to God all rule and power and authority, even over his own sin, his own judgment. So Eli failed, but Eli knew a lot and understood a lot about God. In the end, the curses of God, which came um, from those words of Samuel, came true in that, like I said, his sons did die on that terrible day, and Eli was crushed by the news that knocked him off his chair into his death, and it says the ark was captured, and God's spirit left Israel. And, And that's what the Bible says crushed Eli's spirit. He was so devastated. It, was, it wasn't that he was being judged. It wasn't that his sons had died. It was that the Spirit of God had left Israel. I wonder how many of us care so much about God's presence in our lives and the presence of God among his people, the church, that that would be the most devastating loss to us. I know that that to me doesn't seem like what would devastate me the most. I'm starting to feel like Eli is more of a godly man than me. Eli heard and he recognized God's voice. He cared that God's spirit had left Israel. He cared about God's presence more than maybe any of us, I'd venture. And just because God is disciplining Eli doesn't mean he abandoned him. Just because Eli failed doesn't mean God will fail Eli. And your microchurches ask this question, what has God given to you? What strength, what gift? Um, what gift of his spirit? I want, I want you to lay aside, if you've ever done a spiritual gift test, just try to forget it for like, this one conversation so you don't just give an answer like, I have the gift of administration, you know? Like, think about this question. How do I hear, sense, and experience God? How am I uniquely equipped to discern his will and his way? What gift has God given me? So think about that and share it. Now, third, we need an Eli sermon We've seen here how he failed and what he got right, but we need an Eli sermon because we need to learn about God's faithfulness, and we see a lot of it in the story of Eli. Look, if you're a student of the Bible or even just a little familiar with the narrative, you know we're on the precipice of some really big things here, things that change the direction of history in a big way. Samuel will be a powerful priest and prophet of God. God's people will continue to falter, and their call um, is to be a people with God as their king, but they're going to ask for a king to be among them. And Samuel will warn them of the perils of having a human king, but promise a better king to come. And he'll appoint Saul, who turns out to be a terrible king. But then King David will rise to power. And King David is one of the greatest figures in the whole Bible. He is a savior in many ways of God's people. He'll bring power and wealth and glory to Israel and to God. He will build for God's people, a temple that is a light to the nations that will draw people from all over the world because of its splendor and because of the power of the God of Israel. And of course, David too, as all of the so-called heroes of the Bible will fail and fall under a curse, but still look at the faithfulness of God. God took the faltering work of Eli and even as Eli recognized, he brought about incredible good through Eli's very real failure. So discipleship, I would say, sees the faithfulness of God and proclaims it and isn't hyper-focused just on the failures of ourselves. 
So the next question to ask in your microchurch is how have you seen the faithfulness of God despite your failures? It's very easy to, to look at your failures. That's one of, the, one of the greatest ways to get sucked into self-centered idolatry is just to look at your failures and get paralyzed and say, I can't move. I can't follow Jesus. I have nothing to offer him. But when you look at the faithfulness of God, despite your failures and through your weaknesses, God can really use that. And he can be very glorified through that, just as he was in the life of Eli by using him to do incredible things. So think of a key moment to share with your microchurches. How have you seen the faithfulness of God despite your failures? And fourth and finally, why bother with a sermon about Eli? Because it points us to the great high priest, Eli's hope, to the great king, Samuel's hope. There are so many moments of foreshadowing in all this. Uh, just after the section that John read, uh, there's this illusion in this story. And you should really read um, all of 1 Samuel. Just if you, wanna, if you want a quarantine thing to do, read 1 Samuel uh, this week and just soak it all in. Just how incredibly tied to the rest of the story of the Bible it is. But there's this incredible little, little statement that catches you right when you read it. There's a moment when Samuel's described growing up under Eli's supervision. And it says, now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And that reminds you of something if you've read the Bible much, right? It reminds you of how another young man was raised up by a very imperfect father named Joseph and a mother named Mary. And despite their imperfection, God was very faithful through that son named Jesus and like Mary, the mother of Jesus, Hannah, the mother of Samuel, sings a song of joy and hope in hearing that God is bringing a child to her. She who was barren was having a miraculous child. For Samuel 2 begins with this, this song. It says, and this is Hannah singing, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. And horn is like a symbol of power or authority. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There's none holy like the Lord. There's none beside you. There's no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth for the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. But those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to shoal and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in the darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his Christ. Now, some of your translations may read his anointed. That's simply the word translated in Greek to Christ. Now, wait, when Hannah is singing this, she's singing of a king and a Christ, but there was no king in Israel. She was multiple generations from King David. She has no idea a king will come. At this time, God is their king, but she says, 
God will give strength to his king. Even when Eli is cursed by a man of God who came to rebuke him, we get a glimpse of something beautiful that's coming. It reminds us of Genesis 3.15, in which a curse includes a blessing that overshadows and outweighs the curse. The man of God said this to Eli, and this shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and it shall be assigned to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he will go in and out before my Christ forever. How can that be? And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore for him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. Now that sounds kind of terrible until you realize now that the most honored place that any sinner can be is to sit before the table of a great high priest who offered his body that we despised as a sacrifice and hear him saying, this is my body broken for you. And to see him offering to you a morsel of bread and then a status in which he says, you are a kingdom of priests. You are in the place of a priest. And I'm handing you myself as a morsel of bread. And we look and see not only a priest, but our king offering his perfect obedience to cover over our sin, our shame, and our, fa- and our failures. See, we are like Eli the priest. We have many failures. We may have some gift of the spirit, some gift that we squander and mishandle. We deserve to be cut off. But the promises of God were too big for Samuel or King David to be their fulfillment. Even they, as Eli, had to look to a great high priest to come, to a Christ, to one who was anointed with power and authority, who can give mercy to prove to us us, that his plan is good despite the curses we brought upon ourselves. A priest who can offer to us, as to them, the bread of his presence forever. The main aim of Christian discipleship is teaching one another to look to Jesus. Some have said discipleship is simply this, one beggar bringing another beggar to receive a morsel of bread. And when we do that, our failures will be swallowed up in his victory and we will rejoice. And that's why we need sermons on people like Eli. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much that you're a faithful God. There are no uh, true heroes in the Bible except for Jesus. Every one of our human predecessors and everyone who's come after them has failed. They have squandered your gifts. They have fallen short of your glory. We're all sinners. But God, thank you that you brought to power a king and a Christ who we can look to, who we can hope in who uh, even though we fail, he offers to us his perfection. He makes us priests who don't deserve to be priests. He feeds us with himself, those of us who deserve to be cut off. When we disciple, Lord, may we never point to ourselves, but always to Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.
thank you that you call us into a relationship where all of our flaws are fully known and all of our all of our shortcomings are understood and you've called us into something that can't be that can't be stopped by that um, and we're called into something that's not proven by what the things that we do 
I pray that you just let us um, truly accept the love you have for us and stop trying to rely on the things we can do um, or our own merit, um, that we would just be willing to take a look at all the things that we're really not doing well, um, and all the ways that we're really selling ourselves short, and we're, the ways that we're really um, hurting the people around us and, and not loving you and, and giving what we have to you. Uh, and I pray that we remember you're, you're the safest place to do that, and as we do that, we get to see you more clearly, and we get to know you more intimately, and we get to live more fully in your glory. So we pray that as we go into our small groups that we can uh, talk about this stuff openly and, and with confidence, knowing that our identity is your child and that that is everything we need.